Hello and welcome to our second very successful podcast, Unfiltered. I'm Yanina Doyle and I'm here with Jonathan Kleeman. Uh, joining us this week we've got Harry Co... Uh, God, he can never Harry say Co- the name <laughs> right. This is going to be a running thing for you. Try it again. Come on, darling. Name. I really, I really feel like a special guest. Thank you, <laughs> Harry. So, Harry, whatsoever. Uh, how are you doing? Like I'm doing well. I'm well, thank you. It's really good to be here. Thank you for inviting me along. So welcome. And uh, what, what do you do, Harry? What do I do? Um, I don't actually know, to be honest. That's always a good thing. <laughs> um, I work for myself. Uh, I do a little bit of work in the wine trades. I look after a few Portuguese brands in the UK market, very much as a, as a brand ambassador. And I also do a little bit of writing and some consultancy as well. So very much uh, sort of trying to hustle my way through and... Uh, Tread water and it's not going too badly. I mean, so. <laughs> <laughs> to say wine hustle on your business, yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah, it, it doesn't. Uh, no, maybe, maybe, maybe I you should, should change, change it. it no, and actually, I got I just got a letter from an email from Moo.com and Moo, which is the guys that do uh, your cards. business cards. Yeah, business. Oh, okay, and really? with my yeah. next purchase, I've got 15% off, so I might change it just to do some, yeah, wine hustler. Yeah, wine hustler. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, good work. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you're still feeding yourself, right? And you're still, still laughing, so yeah, no, it's not going too bad. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Liquid diet and all that. <laughs> so we've set the theme as Portugal, just for you, Fantastic. our Portuguese specialist. And your, right. your requirements were not from the Douro Valley, that was your one... Well, they were, yeah. I think, you know, I, 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 I look after a couple of... Well, I look after three uh, kinters in the Douro Valley... Um, so I just thought it would be quite nice for a change to, to taste some wines non-Doro. So I think that was the uh, that was the quota for today, non-Doro value. Well, to be honest, Portugal's got some... I, I'm starting to hit... I love my Spanish wine, but I love going to Portugal now. I think there's some such great value. There's so much to learn. They're really, really... You know, they're just they're, they're the black sheep, right, of the, of the wine industry. Yeah. Um, so it's quite nice that we've got some, some wines to talk about that are... And I think as much as they are... Portuguese wines are, like you say, recognised as being good value. Um, particularly one of the one of the brands that I I represent are actually trying to take a step away from that and really position themselves in the more of the fine wine mm. end of the uh, end of the spectrum because these guys are basically saying it's actually time that a lot of Portuguese wine wasn't good value and actually recognised as being world class. But still, the value. price. For quality to absolutely. price point is still going no, 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 to be low, right? Yeah, absolutely. No you have matter to, what, have to agree with that for sure. So yeah, the wine I brought along today. Ooh, um, what have we got? Is Vinha Paz. Cheers, guys. Cheers, guys. Cheers. It's just past lunchtime. Clinkety clink, absolutely. So, uh, as my dad says, it's always twelve o'clock somewhere in the world. Some past yard arm. It's all right. <laughs> Um, this particular wine is from the Dow region. Um, actually, this this wine has a pretty special place in my heart. Um, I, when I completed my first harvest in the Douro Valley, my partner came out to visit me, and we went to a stunning restaurant in Porto. Mm. Um, traditional but modern Portuguese cuisine with a phenomenal Portuguese wine list. And is this the seafood one, just outside of Porto? It's not, no. I think you're referring to a little village called Matasinhos, but this is actually inside... Yeah, right, yeah. Look at this show-off, just little village. A little village, name. Yeah. Just, uh, <laughs> Well, actually, it's great. It's, it's, it's really sort of provincial and rustic, and you've just got, like, barbecues along the, uh, along the seafront. Oh. Sardines. It's stunning. But actually, this is a little bit more... 
Michelin-y, um, and we came across this wine, which is Vigna Paz, and we actually had a 2001 vintage, and it's really where I started to fall in love with the Dow region. Um, so mm. we'll What do... grapes is there? So you've got two of the usual suspects, <clears throat> and then one that's a little bit more indigenous to the region. So we've got Tariga Nacional, which is, of course, the darling grape of The Portugal. Cabernet Sauvignon exactly. of as, as Portugal, shall we? The jewel in the crown. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you've also got Tintorores, which many will know better as Tempranillo. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a third string grape in here called Alfrochero, which is very much indigenous to the region of, of Dao. Uh, it's not unusual to actually see 100% Alfrochero wines. Uh, now, why the Dao? I think the Dao is so special, particularly in comparison to the Douro is that it's kind of on this granite plateau and it's surrounded on all sides by mountain ranges which is really important because obviously to the west you've got the Atlantic and then to the east you've got the heat coming from inland of Spain so on so what these mountain ranges do they really mitigate that and what you get is a cool climate lots of granite soil which is fantastic for acidity so a lot of people do hail the Dow as the Burgundy of Portugal because it does have that really high acidity. It's a nice cool climate. Most of the rain comes in the this winter. It's lovely and fresh actually. It's it got is. beautiful concentration. Loads of fruit but really vibrant. A little bit sometimes. more restrained than the Douro. The Douro tends to be that always get kind of compared more to Bordeaux. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not big and bold in Douro, but this just because the more richer intensity is much more elegant. Yeah. It's. I think it smells a little bit sort of balsamic. As well, yeah, actually. it's a little balsamic. It's got a really nice. I mean, there's florality to it, but it's. I mean, it's, it leans a little less from the less. They tend to lean away from the fruit, mm. as much as the Duro wines tend to bring a bit more fruitiness out. Um, I think that's why. I mean, they both show traffic terroir terroir in both regions. I think yeah. the Dalwa is a bit more subtle. Yeah. So I think people. Yeah, and there is a little bit more freshness with the wine, which um, of course does does allow. Yeah, potential for aging is definitely there. I mean, if you've had some, I think aged Dow is one of the best things ever. Um, if you can get something that's sort of fifteen years plus, you know, it really starts to develop beautifully in the bottle. And these guys are really doing some good stuff. So the winemaker is Enrique Canto Moniz. Um, his father is the owner of the estate. He's actually a surgeon by trade, and they've been making pretty awesome wine. Um, you know. Certainly for the last few decades, they actually won Portuguese Winery of the Year, I believe, in 2002. Oh, nice. Uh, but yeah, a stunning region, um, you know, a really nice you know, point of difference, particularly from the Douro, even given how its proximity to the Douro as well, because it's kind of just south. So it's quite close, but it's just a completely different microclimate. And, you know, it's a testament to, you know, how, how many different styles and how many different things the Portuguese can really do. I think the thing most interesting about Portugal is the wine growing region. A is, is obviously the amount of indigenous grape varieties they have. Yeah. Don't they have more indigenous grape varieties than anywhere else? I, I've no, seen it either Italy second or Portugal. Two hundred fifty for around two hundred fifty for Portugal. See, I've read and something different. I've read four hundred. Like I feel like Italy. No, it's, it's, no, it's, it's uh, around near the 400 mark See, indigenous uh, indigenous uh, is a very important word is indigenous and if you look at actual grapes grown though Italy dominates everywhere yeah, well. because in Italy you'll find all the Greek grapes you'll find uh, the French mm-hmm. grapes natural grape varieties you find Austrian grape varieties so Italy what from, a floozy from that note Italy just yeah they are they're a bit, they're a bit, they're a bit loose with their choice but they just Italy <laughs> just has that but much like Portugal has other advantage not to have such, such a wide breadth of grape varieties and regions yeah it's a very long, thin country going north to south. So exactly. this gives it this different level. Different. You start all the way up in Vila Verde, for sure. you know, which is borderline Rioja Baixas and has that sort of wet, 
fresh, lighter, fresh, acidic style. Yeah. And yeah. then come all the way down to, I mean, with most extreme, the Algarve, which is yeah. super hot. And the terroir change through there. You've got some areas that still got original sandy soil. Obviously, uh, if you're going out um, next to Val, from the main now, where um, it's still got the beach area where it's no grafting at all on the vines. Claris. Uh, Claris, yes. Yeah. Claris. Gorgeous. Um, so, yeah, go there and Claris is. There's never been touched by flocks there because the sandy soil is there. Mm. And there's a few other patches in Portugal because the mountain areas and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, 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 mountains, sea. And then. Beach. No, they've got it yeah, all, guys. Yeah. They've got it all. And it's about time that. I think with Portugal, what's really important is. is, is is people kind of championing, championing it because Ugh, you can't even talk. Sorry, yeah, it's only, it's only the first. It's only the first. <laughs> yeah, we trip. haven't. Yeah, we've still got two more wines to go. But you know, if you think twenty years ago, a lot of people in the in a lot of the market didn't really know what Sangiovese was, and with with some <clears> good uh, PR and some, some some good awareness and education, you know. People are people know what that is, and I think it's, you just need the same thing with you definitely, Portugal. You definitely do see it more and more. Um, yeah. I think wine lists, especially, and people were will actually go, "Oh, I like Portuguese wine." Oh, Portuguese wine is great value. And I do think it's getting more and more recognition slowly, yeah. surely. Talking of value, how much is where? Where can you get this wine, and how much is it? So this wine was actually given to me by a very good friend of mine who specialises in Portuguese wine. He's a supplier. His name's Matthew Bonner, and he uh, he owns the Portuguese fine wine company. So thank you very much, Matthew. Uh, this wine retails at around about sixteen ninety nine, um, and it can be bought online from South Down Cellars, okay. who Matthew uh, supplies to. So thank you very much for the wine, Matthew. Uh, he's very much you know, trying to champion Portuguese wine as much as he can. He's got a beautiful, beautiful portfolio of some absolute gems. He really covers the bases well in Portugal. So cheers, mate. Thank you. <laughs> so if you get a twenty percent retention, one of our five listeners will probably buy a wine. Yeah, <laughs> that's so a nice. That was just a good plug for the fine wine. Yeah, so yeah. You made wine right in Portugal. Yeah, I have. Did you get uh, to tread on any grapes? I did. I did. Did you get? Uh, did they now? Did they put you in um, some like willies, or did you go proper barefoot? No, no, totally barefoot. Yeah. You, have, you have to do barefoot. It's, it's great. Shouldn't be done on it's, it's, Some people do though. No, but in, I mean in the Douro, it's no, shoes, yeah, okay, yeah, because the, even the machines they make for making port now, where they don't tread it, they yeah. actually fake. Well, the feet, feet underneath, yeah. you know, the actual texture is important mm. for the breaking of the grapes. I mean, people, people sort of come to me and say, that's disgusting. But, you know, you also have to remember this is pre-fermentation. Mm-hmm. So yeah. any germs will get killed in, 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 in that environment uh, once you start a fermentation. But, yeah, it's, it's still really traditional. Um, I've done a couple of harvests out there and, you know, we're still using the, the sort of 5,000-litre stone lagars, lots of foot treading. But it's not as easy as it... That's, it's pretty hard work, isn't it? It's actually... It's actually it's, you know, you, did you stand in a line with everyone, yeah, like, hand-to-hand? So, hand it's and, so boring. Yeah, but have you, have, you, have, you, have you seen Harry compared to the average Portuguese man? He's just, like, <laughs> he's just so big, he's just one side of the line. So so it's just big, big white giant. How tall are you, Harry? I'm, I'm, I'm six four on a good day. Oh, six foot four. Oh, that's that's a hundred and ninety centimeters, hundred ninety centimeters for, for those that are uh, yeah. I'm not sure. What for a European? For a European. <laughs> you're 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 hoping we've got big international <laughs> following us. That's uh, well, look, if we add up Ambitious. all of our if we add up all of our family right now, I mean, we've got at least thirty listeners. I mean, maybe in Canada I can get them. <laughs> <laughs> force them by sending them a free bottle of wine to do it. <laughs> can buy people with wine no but it's, it's I think it's a little it's so traditional it's Portugal, still very traditional so many um, other regions 
Yeah, it's. I mean, it's 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 an amazing place to go to. To be honest, you know, the the Portuguese love to receive people, so you know, you really become one of the family. Um, there's a lot of drinking, there's a lot of eating involved. It's it's you know, harvest time is is, is pretty special, particularly the Dora Valley, and it's so gorgeous and it's so picturesque. Yeah, it's got one of the prettiest places. I've mean, yeah. been there twice last year Absolutely, alone. Yeah. It's one of places if everyone goes join us the Dora again. I always say yeah. this. Yeah, I never. You just spend the entire time wanting to take a picture of everything. Yeah, no, no, no way. There isn't a bad view. Thank God we don't have the cameras anymore, you know? 20, yeah. 20, 20 films. Just take an extra And then just go and send it off to get produced. No, well, I had it. I had one point like my phone. <clears> I had to get more backup memory for my Samsung because after my two trips to the Duro, the pictures I've taken. <laughs> well, it's, 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 a world, it's a world heritage site, you know? So oh, it's, it's amazing. It's, I mean, it's yeah. absolutely stunning. You know, the vines. We don't don't mention the, the, don't mention the slave labour it took to build it, but. Yeah. You've always got to ruin it. You've always got to put a negative to it. the truth of everything, unfortunately. Yeah. But some, I mean, they're just rooted in tradition, and actually, it was super interesting. Towards the back end of last year at the New Doro tasting, um, we sort of sat, sat in on a, a debate among some of the top winemakers uh, from the region. You know, so we had um, you know, we had winemaker from Val Donna Maria, <coughs> so on and so forth, and you know they were really arguing the merits of you know doing blended wines, which is very much in the country's DNA, mm. to to do single varietals, and you know there's just so much you can play with. Like it's, it's true when you say anything's possible in the Douro because of the range of altitudes. Um, you know it's it's really really it's a really special place, and you know it's it's amazing for, to be able to say that I've been a part of it. In one way or another, so long may it continue. So tell me, what was the worst thing you did winemaking? Because let's come on, <laughs> you know, it's one thing I've learned. <clears throat> People always say, "Oh yeah, why did the winemaker do this?" And oh, this is interesting. There are so many mistakes. There are so many things that go wrong during harvest. It's like, oh, we decided this blend because somebody poured that into the barrel. I mean, you know, yeah, like yeah. it's brilliant. Winemaking is I've, not I've always been, as technical. It was. I mean, because I did, I did a few weeks myself. I was in Italy. So yeah, I mean, yeah, and like, like. When you're there, the place I was at was it's relatively, it's not big for a winery, but for the, yeah. that size in Verona for a family winery, it's yeah. very big. And then they, most of these tanks, they've just got like something on chalk, or so it's a handwritten note on the side of the thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, what happens if one day you just get mixed and you've got this many different vineyards? And that, that site did sparkling wine, did red wines, and they blended. So Pinot Noir, they had um, Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc, um, Durello, and they're using Pinot for sparkling, Pinot for dry, you know. It, Pinot Grigio, they're like, you start looking at the about, I think, and then they were also making wine for other people in the local area. Yeah, like, mixing that up, surely. Can you imagine? And like, we were for some vision as well, it was also like when people were picking grapes, like this, it was a vision like, oh, it must be really, really, when you go out there, you see it, like, there's no fences, there's no nothing, yeah, yeah. there's no nothing going, you can't just lean over the fence and go, yoink. I mean, obviously, there is a lot of government bodies that do tests and view stuff, and there is a lot of punishment. But we seem to board out, who's the one in the Rome Valley? Big producer actually in South of France who got in a load of trouble because they were uh, admitted that eh, some barrels got mixed up here, some barrels were mixed up there, and they got caught I out. Mean, because, when did that happen? But uh, this, this, this year happened. They admitted it, but pretty much every no, 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 sure no, 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 they admitted it. They, no, they got, they got, got found caught out. because That's their like happened. sale of Cote de Rhone was more than they could physically produce by their hectolitre. That's how they got uh, caught that, out. So that's uh, how. Oh, and they they've been turning wines from the south of France and blending them in with their Bordeaux, and the the, the winemaker was like, oh no, some stuff got mixed up in our big. Really? Just you happen to slip some cabinet sauvignon from the south of France into your Bordeaux blend? Really? So it It does happen, but there are ways to do it and call out as well. Come on, Harry, what did you muck up? Um, Well, uh, okay, there's there's a (laughs) 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 no pressure or anything. What did you destroy Um, in Doro? So we did a uh, we pressed uh, some Donzellino Tinto, which is 
very, very much a, uh, a, a local variety. It has no relation to the Donzellino, the white grape, but, but this, the, Don, the Donzellino Tinto. Um, a little bit of a Pinot Noiri, a little bit of a Pinot Noiri style um, grape, and we were sort of experimenting with this, just doing a single varietal with it. And we only had a tiny parcel, so we did a barrel fermentation, open top. Pressed, and we, we, we pressed it in one of these manual basket presses mm. because it was just too, wasn't enough to put in the big press. So obviously we're pressing it, and the free run is coming out, and it's running through a pump, and we're pressing it to a tank in the next room. And I left the valve open on the tank. We were pressing it too, so. <laughs> so there was, <laughs> there was no more. Five, about no about four hundred liters of Donzellino Tinto went straight into the Douro River. Oh, oh wow. ouch! This is so perfect. We ended up with fifty, fifty liters. Um, what, what do you say to the people you work with? Oops. Yeah. Well, in fact, you know, I couldn't really understand Portuguese very well at the time. It's probably quite a good thing because they weren't very happy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just no. But the funny thing is, I Things having happen. having just spent two weeks in Chile and doing harvest um, there. Everyone was speaking to me in Spanish and Spanish only. Yeah. Um, you know, and your I, Spanish is pretty good. No, no, I have enough Spanish to get by in terms of say communication, but not like you know, it's like business Spanish. You know, when you're starting Absolutely. to actually describe, okay, you need to take this out of the barrels and add in this. Anyway, so they're speaking to me, and I remember, you know, I'm extracting, I'm doing a lot of ta- you know tank samples and taking them to the laboratory, and then having to refill the barrels with Carignan from that tank over there in you know. Two down, yeah. fill it up, and I'm thinking, oh my god, is this actually Carignan? I, I have this, I have this fear. I'm sure, deep, deep down inside myself, I feel like this vintage is going to be wonderful, and I didn't do anything wrong. But I have this fear that actually I was putting Cabernet Sauvignon or something from like our, our like number one wine into <laughs> some like quite level entry it's Carignan. It's just a clean skin. <laughs> it yeah. is. I mean, it is amazing like the organisation. Anything could have happened. It. it is amazing the organisation that goes in behind it as well, though. I mean, when I worked for Vigano yeah. Dinner. It was just like the lazy for attitudes. I did it in Italy, which I can imagine is pretty similar to Portugal when it comes to sort of things. And I remember like coming from England and I was like 19 and I'd done some work in normal places. Health and safety in England is, you know, it's everything. Everyone's it's a lot of hype, yes. Yeah. In Italy, their entire <clears> thing was here are the secateurs, they're extremely sharp, don't cut yourself. No. That was your training. And then when I did, yeah. um, when you had, had the giant. Um, we dumped the grapes in just to, before they got destemmed, but just to sort of into the spiral. So it's basically like giant spinning blade of death. Yeah. And there is no barrier, no nothing, no sign. And you have to take these big, heavy um, baskets of grapes and mm. throw them in. And mm. like when you do it, it sometimes the weight almost wants to take you. And then I just got told, be careful, don't fall in. Mm. That was their entire health and safety. And I was a 19 year old boy on my own out in Italy with only what, two people on the vineyard, three at Mac, who could speak any English. Yeah. So it was. Um... Well, it was a bit of a culture shock for me because the, same, the year that I did my first harvest in the Douro, um, obviously being Northern Hemisphere, it was, it was sort of around September, but actually I'd done a double harvest that year. And before that, I was in Marlborough. Mm-hmm. In, in New Zealand and going from you know New Zealand's health and safety approach to health and safety is very much like the UK's so imagine. from going from steel caps wellies and you know high vis jackets to walking between tanks in Portugal on planks of wood barefoot was quite a, was quite a culture shock yeah so, I know. remember I used to be out in the vineyard one of the vineyards we were in Suave and it was sort of quite a bit far away from the winery 
and the uncle of the vineyard, he lived out there. He didn't even speak Italian, he only spoke the local dialect. So uh, he didn't yeah, even speak yeah. Italian. It's like a, it's a mix between German and Italian, though. No, no, not in that area. It's it depends where you are, but no, it's, 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 it's a very Italian dialect around okay, there, but it's not even Italian. So, like, the Rebecca, who's my main contact there, who's English, she couldn't even speak to him. Because she uh, couldn't. They, he, yeah. he understood Italian, didn't speak it, so she wow. couldn't even speak to him. I didn't find a sense of laughter, but anyway, he's take, I used to go down there with them. So I'd be with him, all the Moroccans would have been there. A couple of them talk about football to me, and that was about it. And that super friendly, so nice, and there's hospitality out there, isn't that? And I used to get a little packed lunch made for me by the bed and breakfast who I was staying at. Yeah. Yeah, they were organised. But the bed and breakfast, I asked them if they could help me, they did me a packed lunch, and then we had the winery. But when I was out this way, the uncle comes driving along. He used to drive the, like, the little tractor between the vines to pick up all the grapes. Yeah. He sits there, he's got the red face, he's got that classic, you know, <laughs> and he's part of the family that owns all the vineyards, but he just he just likes to be out in the vineyard, he doesn't like to make wine or to be running the business, he never liked that side of it. Yeah. Um, and he just likes to be drinking the wine. So he just, he, we all break for lunch, and he just signals to me, so I get on the back, so you've got this little trailer on the back of the, the little tractor. Mm-hmm. Now you understand that like, the vineyards are like slopes going up like 20 degrees, <laughs> 30 degrees, some point, there's like hills and crests. Mm. So I get on the back. And, and they like, didn't give you a seatbelt. Not a seatbelt, I was, I was in the trailer. In, <laughs> I know, in back, I'm joking. Holding on for dear life, and I didn't know where we were going. So I'm a strange man, I'm out in the middle of nowhere, I'm on the back of his trailer, mm. he's going full pelt over and up these hills. I'm just like this, with the little whippet dog, that every vineyard has a dog. He's just running along with me, he's literally running along. I'm like, almost being thrown up and down. I did this like four days straight. And he'd take me to his house, cook me lunch, so I my packed lunch, make me drink two bottles of sparkling wine, and then I'd go back out and do another six hours yes. in the vineyard. So it's work hard, and it's, hard, isn't it? Is that is the rules of the, the wine first, industry. The first, the first, first day, like the morning of it, is really easy. You kind of get through it, it's fine, you keep going. After you've had two bottles of sparkling wine, you kind of keep up with the Moroccans <laughs> who do it all day, every day. Yeah. You're like, you're, like, you're sweating, <laughs> you're like four hours. It's, hot, it's great, but it's horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> and a newfound respect for people who pick grapes after doing that two weeks. Like, no, I picked grapes for horrifying. 30 minutes. Yeah, it's horrible. And it was it? almost fun, and then I realised I, I did it after did, 30 minutes, and I thought, I, I'm glad I've done it. I've done it now. I did it on off over two weeks, <clears> and between days in the vineyard and other stuff in the actual winery. So, um, I, I, but yeah, it's, it's, it's really tough. You do four days of it in the sun. And you know, you're normally on a slope that is directly in sunlight. That's the entire point of the slope. So, there's, like, there's no hiding from it. And I'm pale, pale white, so unfortunately I reflect it, mate. Uh, yeah. So I just decided to pour uh, the second wine because I ran out of the first one. <laughs> so I got thirsty. Um, Harry, aka yes. Mr. Portugal, can you tell me, it, with the O's, with the funny wibbly bloops over the top, how do you pronounce that? Because it I don't sort of pr- softens, it softens the O, so it really depends on... I, I guess. mean, do you I'm, want I mean, to... I mean, I'm no... Would you like to pretend, because I feel like that you might pronounce the name of the winery better than me, and the that name one. of the wine, because I don't think I'll get the O right, and then it'll just be embarrassing, and I'll never live it down, ever. I'd rather you So, for one. example, if you see here, I'm guessing this is the winemaker underneath. This is, so yes. Like, the, the, the A has... Um, as one of those squiggly lines above it, so that kind of softens it. So it'd be like Joao instead okay. of Joao. Joao. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's kind of what that does. Whereas it, it, it works in Spanish when you see it above the N. Yeah, it does it from a, a N to a N. And it kind of works the same, but it, the Portuguese language is, I think, a little bit harder to uh, get your head around yeah. than, than certainly than the the Spanish. Um, I just think the pronunciation can be a little bit more confusing. But yeah, that would be Joao M. Barbosa. So that's massive, the name. There's also yeah. a massive difference between Portuguese spoken in Portugal, which when I spoke to them, they say because a lot of their slang has got into the language, so they tend mm. to like, connect the S's a lot in the words, compared to Portuguese spoken by, say, Brazilians, who all oh, speak totally it. Different. More, it's more traditional, and it's more like you said it very exactly. 
where obviously when you go to Portugal, because they've been saying for so many years and stuff like that, a lot more of their slang has crept in there, they tend to shorten a lot of the words yeah. or connect the letters. Yeah. And they understand it, but trying to learn it from them is just, uh, I, I imagine, is a bit of a challenge if you're out there every year. So, if we're right, Jao Barbosa is the producer, um, and I know he's had about 40 years' experience in the wine industry before creating this project, um, which he started in 2000. And the name of this wine is Lapa dos... Gavals, we're going to go Gavals, with. Yeah. I think we'll have to yeah. we'll, we'll write, we'll Gavals, write Gavals, this yeah. down. Um, <clears throat> but this is a really interesting wine from Alentejano. So we've gone very, very far. Well, not the further south, which is the Algarve, but a little bit further up and more inland. So we're, we're not by the sea. You're not getting any coastal breezes. You are down south, so it's incredibly, incredibly hot. Is this, is this Alentejo? Alentejo, yeah. yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. fantastic. I, I was actually, when I first went to Portugal, I did... Um, I did the Vim Portugal competition so years ago it was the first time I ever went out there and I did around Stubau Alentejo yeah. all around the area and we went up to see uh, Suzanne Esteban who does the sidecar wines so she did that when I first went to she did it with um, uh, Dirk Nearport from yeah. Maduro so she again again that's a really interesting region because there's a lot of um, traditional old vines and these old patches of mixed grapes like there always has been mm. Alentejo is it's crazy it's one of those regions where I remember we were sat there on the first night, so we were drinking some white wines, and we hadn't got to out the area yet, but we were drinking some white wines, and they're white. And we're sitting there, we're going, these are lovely, big, rich, bold, is what a lot yeah. of whites in there are like. And you're, like, you're very much comparing them to top Burgundy, or even um, Californian um, Chardonnays, you're like, these are big, buttery, bold. Mm. And I'm like, like oh, what, how much oak is on this? Got three, four months, five months? I'm like, oh no, no, two years, yeah. sorry. And it's like, it's almost the opposite. The, concentra- the, carrier, the, carrier the concentration well, on the grapes is so heavy, you're not putting oak on there for structure. You're putting oak on there to soften the wine down. To soften the wine down. <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's hilarious. I mean, this, it's amazing, this, it's just... this comes between about 330 to 500 metres above sea level. So it's a little, little bit fresher, um, but still seeing the sunshine all day long. We've got some good funky grapes. Well, you've got the typical Dorigo Nacional. Is so there some Syrah in this? Do you know yeah. what there is? Yeah, a little yeah, bit. Um, but in terms of percentage, I think the Syrah is the least amount. Sure. Um, you've got that herbalness. Mm. The Trigger National won't be that heavy either because you'd feel it would be much more potent. You've got Trinquedera, which uh, is actually probably one of the oldest grapes, I think, in um, in this region specifically. Um, gives quite high yields, actually, so you get a lot of concentration, but I know it's quite susceptible. It's quite a hard grape to grow. Aragonas, which, just to confuse people, is the same as <laughs> Tintorores, which is the same as Tempranillo. Uh, see, wine drinking is not some, so easy. Some, some it's grapes, quite, you ha- there is actually some there studying. Was, there was some grapes skin in the the test when I did the um, competition. But um, so some of the grapes have three synonyms in Portugal alone. It's yes, north, no, it's central, central, or south. But the same with Tempranillo in Spain, I think. Oh, yeah, you yeah, think yeah. of at least three different well, try, grapes. Try Sangiovese. Or even Toro, it's known by. Ul de Lebre in Catalonia or something. Ul de Lebre? Oh, I wish I... Anyway, it's... Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, and it's it's so many different names. So um, we've got Aragones, um, Tinta Barocco, Barocca, sorry. Yeah. No, I like well. mm? No, I like Cambuchet. Mm-hmm. So we've got a nice big blend. Tinta a very important grape. I mean, it's obviously, it's sort of what I would call one of the big five... Um, you know, in uh, certainly in the Douro, but but Baroque is actually very important, and this is what I learned from being uh, working with the grape. 
is that it brings naturally fairly high, extremely high sugar levels. Mm. So when you're blending, it really helps to, if you need a little bit of an alcohol boost, um, it really helps. It's it's kind of like, you know, there's almost like a symphony where, you know, Tariqa Nacional is, is the perfumed, elegant lady, and then the, 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 the Tintorores or the Aragones really brings body and colour, uh, particularly these clones, and what the Barocca does in this symphony is actually bring a little bit of weight and alcohol and excuse me and very often um, that kind of touch of coffee mocha note as well and that's what I really learned from working with the varietal from first hand was 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 you know the, the alcohol levels so we'd actually if we can separate those uh, those plantings it's difficult but because a lot of them co co-planting it's field blends but if you can separate them and micro-vinify each one it can really help when it comes to assemblage what I, what I find interesting is it's, so, it's, it's amazing how many people are off-put by the idea of blended wines in some ways and what yeah. I don't realise is that everywhere wine you ever drink is blended even if you drink a Pinot Grigio it's a blend of 25 fields of different Pinot Grigio all yeah. vinified separately blended to give the style unless it's once. like literally says single vineyard yeah unless it has you know, all have it and then we always have printed on and there. even within that there's probably different parcels you yeah know, so. and I mean if you even go so even when I went to Chateau Margaux last year yeah I mean in Chateau Margaux and the whole point is that's how you get quality this is the ironic point is exactly. in Chateau Margaux do tiny parcel selections and the same uh, um, well all the big Bordeaux boys do it now yeah the idea is by doing all these tiny parcel selections I mean any, every top wine pretty much I'm Sassakaya will do it or Alaya will do it that's mm. how Marcetta was found but in these tiny parcel selections, each year you can find the ripest and the best, and you can get the blend to exactly where you want it to be, and you can give the best wine each year. Mm. And you cut out all the parcels that aren't good enough, and you can yeah. put them to a second <clears> wine or a third wine or sell them. And that's what happens when you start vineyards. So it's funny that other people, now you can get Smeas or you can get other people in the wine trade going, oh yeah, but all the wines in Portugal are just blended. It's like, well, no, but that's the entire point. And it's not a focus on the grape variety, it's a focus on the terroir. So you take Absolutely. each patch, um, you take each field blend, where a lot of them you have like 13, 14 grapes in a field, all mixed together, but it shows the terroir to the best state. Sure. I think that's really, I mean, actually, the right point of them being blends in Portugal is actually more representative of the terroir sometimes than what some wines are, a single variety coming from other yeah. countries are. I mean, what, what Cristiano Van Zella said, which really resonated with me, who's, who's the head honcho at Val Donna Maria, is that, you know, these blends, they are already, the wines are already blended before you even pick it. The homogenization comes from a hundred-year-old vineyard, which was, you know, which was, which was essentially a co-planting. So, you know, the blends already make themselves. You just have to pick the... I mean, I've seen grapes coming in on a sorting table... In Portugal, uh, there's been there must have been eighteen different varieties coming coming through the sorting table. So you know these the the, the homogenization actually happens in the vineyard before you even bother trying to do an assemblage of uh, of, of of different varieties. Um, I think what they do in Alentejo though is it is a little bit more regimented, if you like. Uh, you know there are rows upon rows of Syrah then. No, other well, they've been starting, haven't they, over the years? Yeah. I think it, it, it depends, make everything a lot more. It depends systematic. on where you go. I think if you go further south of it's more regimented and it's more sure. bigger wine production. Um, I know that up north, at least where we visited, like, again, like Suzanne Astaban, she's using, she's looking for old plots all the time and looking for mixed vineyards. Mm. So that is a very different. But I do, yeah, I know what you mean. But I know that. It's a great wine, though. Well, you, funny enough, you say it's a great wine. It's big, it's juicy, it's got a great length, it, loads going on in the glass. And this is a perfect example of 
good value. This is, I think, £9.33, £9, just over £9, uh, with portugalvineyards.com. Delivers over. Um, and I also see there that it's a 2012. This is 2012, yeah, is, so it's had it's, some time. It's got, it's, but it's showing that, isn't it? It's showing. But it's shown some evolution. I think that's just what I'm always impressed with Portuguese wines is, mm. in general, they need time in everything. Um, but Very chocolatey, right? As, as a country, there is so much wine with some age still available. And I'm, as anyone knows me, I'm quite obsessed about drinking wines that are ready, not yeah. drinking wines because they're popular. I love Burgundy, but at the moment Burgundy's becoming more and harder and harder to drink wine when it's ready to be drunk. Mm. We're drinking far too young. In Portugal, again, around this area in Vauxhall, um, you can go walk into loads of Portuguese wine shops um, or Portuguese delicatessence or that mm. sort of place, and you can find a good wine on a shelf for a decent price that has got the time on it. It's ready to be drunk, it's showing everything's mm-hmm. going to show, or it's getting near that point. Instead of it being straight out of the vineyard, you know, age for the minimum it has to be and then throw straight at you. Yeah. And I find more and more some regions that are meant to be the best in the world are doing that. Obviously that's the economics of winemaking and they want to make money. Yeah. But I think from a wine drinker standpoint, it's really sad to see these wines being drunk sometimes. I get like generally upset with the <laughs> really nice wine like it's not ready. There's another <laughs> wine I have on the list that's older and ready to drink. And that's just it's quite annoying. I think it's important you brought this wine along because I think outside of the you know Vigna Verde and Dora, I think Alentejo's certainly makes up the, the the three most important wine regions commercially and economically for 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 Portugal. So mm. definitely a good shout to bring it along. And, and also the soils as well. You've got so much schist. You've got so There's much granite. You've got so again, much limestone. It's a big variation. You, you know, uh, real, uh, still Mediterranean influence. There is so much going on. It's very very interesting. Um, and it's again a region that not many people yeah, know. Yeah, once before. Um, from around that area we've got um, Ravishkera okay. um, they're great guys I met the family when I went down there to go tasting and they do what I was really interested in them is they're both keeping the heart tradition which is they're still using they're not doing completely they are still doing blends for mm-hmm. their main wine but then they are also doing some single varieties just to show you can what? <laughs> um, more, just to sh- more just to show you can do blends yeah. uh, sorry more to show you can do single varieties just to show them off they're even doing Alvarino in Alentejo oh wow super. But I guess very high altitude to get the Higher, but what they do, what the financial for them is, they don't do much in the winery mm. different. They're super traditional. They spend a lot of modern techniques with mapping the vineyard. So they do yeah. a lot of heat signature mapping. Mm-hmm. And what they were telling us, well, again, was very interesting comparing Portugal to countries, because they're met with the indigenous grape varietals. While a lot of countries got rid of their indigenous grape varietals, is the yields are actually not that high. You don't get great yields all the time. Mm. You get great concentration with no problem. That's so they've got the almost the opposite problem of other great vineyards, which is that they have to try and actually get their wine to give them they're trying to get more yield to make mm-hmm. better production to make it more economical but they never have to worry about concentration where other especially in Avantejo where there's just so much sun when you go to some other countries especially using the more international grape varieties and then certain vintages they may have too much yield unless they do green pruning or rubber techniques again I don't there seems to be a lot of green pruning needs to be done in Portugal either it's, again, well, the vigor is you know in, you know it can be that's more of a problem, right? It can be a problem, yeah. And obviously, you know, you, you do want to to limit your bunches per per vine. But again, I think, you know, with certainly my experience, and I can't speak for the whole of Portugal, I know a little bit about the Douro, and some most of the vineyards I've worked with, I've been lucky enough to work with really old vineyards. We're talking, you know, 80 years plus, and those, those yields are naturally lower. Yeah. Uh, and the concentration is higher. So, and... Also, I am awful in a vineyard. I hate it. I'm too tall. I'm not, <laughs> that, 
I'm not, I burn. I, I don't, I'm not designed for it. So it's I, actually I've picked a really cool country to go represent. I stamped my feet once or twice and sort of just marched off back to the vineyard, waited for the grapes to come in. So you know, it's uh, I'm not the best guy to talk to when it comes to viticulture. So we talked a lot about Portugal. I thought, you know, it's always good. What's going on right now, in, especially in London? Um, and some new exciting openings that I thought, I don't know if you guys have been to or have an opinion on. Um, have you guys been to see Hyde, the new restaurant that has opened up, owned I, by Hedonism? I mean, I've the biggest seen... biggest wine shop. I have um, seen... I have seen all of Hind via Instagram, as everyone has seemed to be in there who I know. Yes, I um, had, it only just opened up and I've been away, so I haven't had the chance yes. to go in yet, so that's why I obviously thought we could talk about... Mr. Debu there, who I, I did go to his restaurant years ago, original Debu, and I always went to Hamietta when he was Well, yes, there. so he hasn't had a restaurant, has he, since when uh, well, yeah, it closed in it was 2017? Just, well, I think it closed because, yeah, it was tiny, the Debu, and obviously very successful, and I'm guessing this project's been in the pipeline for quite for a, a while. For a while, which yeah. Is huge. Um, yeah, but he also good. Good. He did the Hamietta in between as well because he was the consultant. Have you seen the staircase? It looks so <laughs> impressive. Have you been in? I have actually. And yeah, what's, what's your opinion? Because this well, is supposed only, to be a I've, really. They're, they're aiming for a Michelin star. Well, I've only been to the bar. Well, you know. But actually, I did a very brief stint once upon a time working at Hedonism. Did you now? Oh, I forgot about that. And I've, I've stayed in touch with a lot of the team. Mm-hmm. And um, naturally, people at Hedonism do get looked after at Hyde. So I thought I'd just, you know, cash in that. Oh, cool. Thank you. Thank you. So, yeah, I went along there with um, one or two of the, uh, the sales team. Um, we just had a cocktail. It, it's, it's very grand. Listen, it, it's, yeah, it, at the end of the day, as like hedonism is, you know, it's a, obviously a phenomenal shop. Certainly the best wine and spirits shop, I think, in the world. It's a sweetie um, store. Well, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm going to counter that, which is that okay. I think it's the best one to visit and look at. Right. Co- prices are. Would you buy I, anything in there? Actually, do you know what, Johnny? I'm gonna I'm gonna argue with you now. Oh, this, 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 oh, this, this, every, put, get your swords out, guys. This could be my rant, actually. Go, a little go, go. Bit oh, later. but you, you, okay, rant but, corner for later. <laughs> so it's only touch base now. I'll touch base on it now. But actually, hedonism are incredibly competitive with their pricing. Um, are they really? Yeah. Because yeah. I've, I've always particularly, gone in and particularly felt... on the champagne, particularly uh, on champagne. I I, I... Bollinger is more expensive in Asda. Than it is in hedonism. I have to, no, no, I'm not going to. I mean, I, I only know them from the price, obviously, and the stuff you look at more when you go there is the fine wine side of it. Absolutely. And don't be yeah. wrong, I'm not saying they're bad value, because the fact is yeah. that they are somewhere you can walk in, pick up a bottle of the tour, probably have your choice of vintage, and it's there and ready. You're and you can't that. get that anywhere else. And you're paying for mm-hmm. that, and you're completely paying for that service, and now I completely accept. For sure. What I'm saying is, as someone who buys wine regularly myself, and I don't live in Mayfair, it would probably never be my first point of call because no. I know that I can go get it. If I if I plan ahead, I can get the wine cheaper. I'm, as I said, I'm defending them. I'm not saying they're bad. Yeah. They are there for a big reason of purpose, which is that they are they are to a certain market. There's a reason why they're in Mayfair and they're not in Shoreditch because in Shoreditch, you wouldn't have people who are going to wander in and buy the bottle of the tour at that price. No, no. It's, and I, mean, I used to work in that area. People used to walk in with hedonism bags like this and bring their bottles in and I would drink some amazing stuff because they'd just gone to the shop, bought it and brought it in and done it on Corkage. Yeah. The only thing I have found a few times after seeing how much people pay for it, and again, things may have changed, um, as a couple of times where the difference in price from where I was working at in Mayfair and yeah. what they paid for it than paying corkage, they might as well have bothered. They might as well have um, Well, it's interesting because so, yeah. they've got 
Uh, what's the there's a master sommelier at the helm Piotrek oh in, in Hyde yeah, 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 yeah a master sommelier and he's fantastic I'm so sure he's just, he's just um, recently passed kudos yeah really young guy lots of energy winning every competition yeah which is fantastic I mean you know it's amazing they do have you know a wine list if you like but every single wine you anything in so 450 bins are on the wine list, list and, every solid, in and, and then 6,500 wines of hedonism so, wines are available for a yeah. 30 pound markup so only 30 pounds so 30 more pound that, the, yeah. to, and, and apparently the wine will be delivered to you from hedonism within 12 mm. minutes but if you want to pre-order in advance, they will have it chilled or decanted already for you. Now, well, that I'll is something I'll that is very impressive. I'll tell you why, especially they push the pre-ordering, because they're now having to pay staff to keep hedonism open while service is on. Because let's, let's not, let's, oh, let's gosh, not forget what time that hedonism shut, shuts at 9. So if they're doing service until 1am, then, they ha- then they, they, they're paying a key holder just one... Uh, no, um, one person guy or girl needs to be there to stay back Every, and this is open seven days now a this, week this, 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 this to, to, to stay back and keep the shop open so they can so they can send a runner to, to Hedonism just in case I will also point out the other elephant in the room with this one as well and again it's amazing it's a great thing that only in somewhere like London do you get this or New York or somewhere like that also do have to remember though this isn't what you would call normally a sustainable business model because the guy who owns Hedonism, it isn't his main income. Well, we all, we all know why he's in England and not yes, so, yeah. back home. And, no, no, but, I mean, and it's fantastic, but it's, and it's, it's greatly just for this. But this isn't someone, someone normally could open up and do. It's, it's, no, like, no this is extreme. something very extreme. Um, but again, I'm, I'm going to have to check the champagne price. I'm really intrigued by that. Because Bollinger is really cheap. It's, 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 it's actually... Extremely, and, 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 then, and then when you look at... You know, other wine merchants in London, I don't know, let's say, to uh, Jerry's and, I know Jerry's a little bit more spiritual, but say Amethyst, you know, actually, Hedonism are, are, are by far the most competitive, certainly on, on Grand Marc Champagnes anyway, I just was doing a little bit of a, uh, a sort of piece on it for, for, for someone, and yeah, Hedonism actually aren't, I'm the big bad wolf of the of the trades. You oh know? no, I've never said the big bad wolf, and I know what you mean, I know what you're saying about no, but I know I know why you're saying this because a lot of people will look at some hedonism and go, "Oh, it's Mayfair, it's this, it's expensive, it's brash." It's mm. okay. For a start, that's the entire point of Mayfair. Yeah, that's like being in Soho and then actually later on when I see the house, some guys try to complain. They're like, "You have rap music on in your bathrooms." Like, this is Soho. Like, what for me? Like, you're lucky there isn't a naked girl dancing in there or a naked guy. Like, you should just be happy yeah. with like, you know, go. It's Soho, and if it was a guy and they're doing it, no one would really notice. It's, and it's like the same thing in Mayfair. Being in Mayfair and saying, oh, that's ostentatious. It's like, well, it's Mayfair. It's Mayfair. Well, it's, you, that is part of the culture and the style of the place. Well, either way, I think we have to go to Hyde and oh, well, try out. And certainly, no matter what we think about hedonism or their prices, Harry, wait for rank corner. Um, I think £30, <laughs> I think £30 markup on a shop price, no matter what, no one else any Mayfair. Very happy. So I'm, I'm, well, looking, I mean, forward yeah, to, I'm looking forward what to it. What do you like to this? It's literally like they've managed to out Pall Mall, Pall Mall in a sense which has been managed to open up with a bigger wine list yes. and the same thing that Pall Mall did which is steal some of the age the sign the sign is super show. cool hide in Mayfair yeah, have you seen so the, I, the, yeah. the sign with the lights no, no, no. it's like hide is 
If you I look at like, eye level, you I can't think, see it. I think I've seen it's sticking out from the wall, but like, and then there's a light that comes down, which creates a shadow. That says, I have oh. seen it because everyone takes pictures it's underneath it like this. So yeah, it's, it's really cool. <laughs> so anyway, anyone who's looking for something new and exciting and loves wine. Hyde is obviously it is the place we should go to. The other thing I'll tell you is what I do like seeing this happen more of these places happening in Mayfair is it means it's finally start putting pressure on the Mayfair markups, which is those restaurants we all know where they put seventy percent no, seventy five percent margin so it's of a lot of their wines. Going even to eighty percent now. Yeah. Oh wait for rank corner. Right guys, uh, we should drink the third wine. I've just poured it and I'm smelling it and uh, Jonathan, my darling, it's time for you to talk because it's smelling a little bit sweet. So um anyone who does know me we should know that if I got the chance to talk about Portugal, the one wine I'm gonna show everyone it's Moscatel de Stubau. Uh, regularly this has been featured as the best unknown fortified wine in the world and I think that's completely dead on uh, so Moscatel de Stubau is can you say that slowly because you say it too Sorry. fast and there are going to be Moscatel de Stubau de Stubau in, in phonetically, that's basically spelled Setubau. Setubau, yeah. Moscatel yeah. de Setubau. Yeah. Setubau is a small appellation, so it's right near Alentejo, Baja, around that area, um, mm. near, right by Lisbon, basically. Oh, um, yummy! Yeah. Mm. So, Moscatel de Setubau is made from Muscat de Alexandra. Uh, it's fortified wine, made in very traditional, sweet, fortified style. Um, what I find really interesting about it is A, a real traditional way to drink it in the summer is to drink it on ice. Uh, what's really fascinating about it is it also has a lot of levels. Much like port, you can get it at the very cheap end, which is actually what we've gone through here is at the reasonable price. I mean, this costs, uh, from a local shop near here in Vauxhall, actually, um, from Delici- um, Delicus Vauxhall, which is a Portuguese delicatessen, it's um, £11.25. He's actually looking at his receipt see, yeah. right now. He um, bought it I this morning. Tell you, if you want, if you're ever in Portugal, whether in uh, Porto, uh, whether in Porto, or if you're especially in Lisbon, it's even easier to get it. You'll be able to pick this up from this producer, which is, um, I'm going to try and make sure I'm pronouncing it right, Casa Almerinda. Casa Almerinda. Almerinda. Very relatively big producer, still not huge by wine standards, but you will find them in every airport in Portugal, and you'll be able to pick up about six euros a bottle. It is a steal. Um, it is so yeah, six euros normally. And this is beautiful. And this it's is just it's apricot, nutty, it's nutty, dry, it's, yeah, dried apricot. And this, this is the this is the entry level Moscatel de Stubau. You can go up much levels to age and does age forever. Um, honey. And richer stars. You also have Moscatel de Roxo, which is made from a different grape variety, which is even rarer. It's a bit of a darker colour and it's more nuanced and more complex. Mm. Also, let's um, not forget the wines, uh, the Moscatel de Favios, which is. Muscatel made uh, in the Douro. Yeah, well, Muscatel de Douro is called, doesn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but the the Favios is the the little the, the hub, the central village of that in uh, in the north. And what I find about Muscatel, and this is a gorgeous wine. Thank you for bringing it along. But it's it's obviously it's fortified, and you said it's made in the very same style as um, well, not the same, same production methods. Sorry, with the fortification as port. It does come in. It does tend to come in slightly lower alcohol, closer yeah, to seventeen. It's, 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 almost, it's almost like between. It's like between port and sherry because it's still made yeah. like a port, but it's more sherry in alcohol level mm-hmm. and the style you're drinking it. And I know this is sort of you know it's it's obvious because it is made from grapes, but it's it's so much more grapey than yeah. port, isn't it? You know, it's. it's but I think that's. I think the difference between because you're using white grape variety instead of muscat, yeah. which is muscat, even, 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 aromatic than, grape even than white port, it's so much more grapey. But I think as well. because that's, that's it's the a, muscat and yeah. that's the. Uh, it's aromatic grape variety. Absolutely, but they, gorgeous wine. Uh, I just, but what I like is in the summer you can drink it on ice. That's one of the only four or five mm-hmm. ones I know you oh, recommend yeah. to do that on. But what, just for the price quality, you just can't beat the damn thing. And I remember I took this when I went to do my first judging um, for International Taste and Quality um, Institute in Brussels last year. 
they ask you to bring some bottles of wine along. I'd just been to Portugal, been to the Douro. So I was originally to bring some English wine along, but I literally was going from the Douro, going back, and going out really quick and had time to get myself organised. So they mm-hmm. say, do bring from the home country if you can, order some wine you really like. I didn't really have time to plan, so I was like, okay, I bought a load of bottles of Moscatel, which I always do anyway. I bought a few bottles along plus one bottle of English sparkling. Um, and I put it out. I remember the first day, you put, basically what I did is they asked you to bring them along for lunch. So lunch when you're doing the tasting, it's so everyone to try some wines from different countries. So I put it out, and a little French sommelier, he's apparently one of the top sommeliers from in France, I don't know, one of the old boys. I've spoken to him a couple of times, but he doesn't speak much English. He walks over just as I've opened it, and I've started showing one of my, someone I've just met there, right? and I was trying to show them. But he goes, picks it up, tries it, downs the glass, and just ran off with my bottle to a table of like old French guys. And then I like, went to go look for it, and it was destroyed in about five minutes. And it's the same destroyed. as like, that what a it wonderful was literally way destroyed. Like, you've been annihilated by these Frenchmen. Um, and uh, <laughs> there's a joke in annihilated by Frenchmen and Portuguese. Um, but what I find interesting, whenever I show it to sommeliers, whenever I show it to anyone, and when I was out in Portugal, mm. first time out there, we couldn't get enough of it. You had all these sommeliers sitting there, and all we wanted to do constantly was drink Moscow Club Stubel. Everywhere we were like, yeah, yeah, this is great. Bring Moscow Club Stubel. And we just. And at the airport, it was like, when we were leaving, it was like a raid to go buy as much and fit into your case as possible. I've just chinned all of that glass. Exactly. It just, Would you like some more, my love? No, I think I'm Would you rather drink the red? No, no I'd rather hate? drink the muscatel, but it's about twice the alcohol, so I'm going to be careful. It's gorgeous. I will give you that warning. It is a dangerous wine. Yeah. Because, um, you know, buy beware. You'll and drink price it. point. Fant- and, and actually, you'll you'll, and one thing, sorry, just to, to point out... Um, you're saying it's eleven pounds to buy in a shop. This is a seven. Is it? Yeah, seven hundred. Is it just under? Is it seven fifty or just under? Seven fifty, right? Seven fifty. You're just checking it just because it's thinner. Um, but this is a seven hundred and fifty ml bottle, not a half bottle, because a lot of the time with dessert wines, sweet yeah. wines, they come in half bottles. So we're right, talking eleven pounds for a full bottle of uh, dessert wine. What would you have it with? With this, I mean, I'm going to avoid all the classic Portuguese custard desserts, what people normally say with. Um, the two ways I'd rather have this is actually a hot sunny day on ice as an imperative just on its own yeah because if anybody's going to light up conversation this is definitely going to do it mm. um, or I mean if we're going to go with desserts then I think creme brulee is like the classic one to go with okay that kind brulee. of burnt sugar this I has think it that really aspect well. yeah. it, it just sort of has its sugar imbalance it is, it is sweet but it's sort of, the alcohol balance is out a bit this could, would I think this would also go with like a night uh, by the way uh, just a note, Harry's pouring more. I thought more. I could get away with that because there's no cameras. <laughs> but I'm just gonna, no, I think it's important that we still explain to people what's happening. Uh, Harry yeah, could not sorry, resist. I was trying to pull a fast one on you guys there. But this is, this is one of the things that I think for me, it. It, really, it really also embodies wine in a sense, which is that this isn't a big serious wine, it isn't a big talking point wine in the sense of like all the history in this, and this. there is a lot of history behind it in the style. What I like this wine, this is a fun wine. This is wine when you open it, people are going to drink it, they're going to talk, they're going to have fun, and they're going to enjoy it. I and think sometimes in the wine that's world... That's what wine should sometimes be Sometimes nice. that's what gets lost in the wine world. We can sometimes get up our own asses. We can sometimes yeah. get a bit... In, in Portugal's nice for that, though, I think, actually. Absolutely. Sometimes yeah. it's about you take your £10 note, and I think, I mean, that your first wine, okay, is still under 20, so people can still afford this. No, nothing, nothing, you know, here general, 20, nothing here was no, this was 20. No, this was £17, mine was um, under 10, and yours is just over 10. And the point is, we've had some... If we ha- considering we've tasted some of the best wines in the world between the three of us and regularly enough all three of these wines have been so enjoyable and we've wanted more right and yep. I think actually that's kind of a, probably a really good example of Portugal full yeah. stop right I think, I think but also being as well as the qualities there as well that's, that's the, that difference is that 
you spend that money and it's not like oh I got a well priced bottle of wine that's quite drinkable so I've got a well priced bottle of wine I want to talk about have fun with mm, um, but also again the potential is I mean you can still look at things there's still uh, Bacavelia and stuff like this and there is still wines at that top end again I'm pretty sure there's more Bacavelia in Vauxhall than there is actually in Portugal at this point <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, if I'm joking, go to Lusso, they've got a collection of it, you go to the Delicrescent, they've got even the... Is this a Portuguese um, area then? Voxel, yeah. massively, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, by the way, everyone, we're recording in Voxel. This is, we're, recording, <laughs> we're recording Four Degrees, uh, where I work currently, which is a Japanese restaurant, but in Voxel, You plugged that the last time, you're plugging it yeah, again, plugging look it at him, plug, plug. Um, hey, you just use the route, yeah, I get to plug. Yeah. So, just, uh, this is, I, you know, you're always very upset about something, and so that's why we always decided to talk a little bit about something you want to rant about. Jonathan, so I just want to check how you're feeling about life. Yeah, so actually, leading on to what we were just talking about, um, I'm always feeling down on life, that's just how I do. And I'm but really sorry about that, and I advise you entirely like, to drink all the rest of this wine that we leave, because I think you'll feel much better. That's <laughs> <laughs> a state, basically my normal state of mind. Um, <laughs> but no, actually, my leading on to that is actually about, is it going to be a bit of a rant about the wine world? Um, <laughs> Here we I go. Did, I, did a lot of, I did a lot of tweeting, actually, last time when we had, um, really bring to the whole day about the wine world being too wanky. I do a lot of looking at what's going on in the US, and mm-hmm. also with US customers who are a lot more open and sommeliers, and sommeliers are a lot cooler, and the wine world is yeah. a lot cooler. Actually, following on to one, we did bartenders versus sommeliers together. We did. We did. That um, was I, I was very boozy, that was ridiculous. Mm. We, we were worse than bartenders. Um, and right. what I found, we, again, that we got really shocked back then, which is that when we did that, and especially with my training and being restaurant side, I was in a team of people, we were the sommelier team. Almost everyone in my team was like, oh, but I'm not a sommelier, and I don't really want to be called one. And there was almost this kind of... As if yeah, being a sommelier is It's a negative, you? yeah. And, it's, it's, it's against it. and there was a thing definitely split in London at the moment if you go and look at the East End bar scene where you, if you go to the East End of London people aren't sommeliers. They work in wine, they're wine people, they love wine. Yeah. They don't want to be called sommeliers. If you look at the US everyone wants to be a sommelier but sommeliers are cool, fun and Can different. Can sort of confirm the American pronunciation? Or well, sommelier. sommelier. <laughs> how, how are they saying in America? Sommelier. Oh no! Some no, my favourite. My favourite is even you. Sommelier. My favourite one is even, <laughs> even, even when you watch some the documentary. Even when you watch some the documentary is when they say quandria. Quandria. I'm like, sorry, no, please, please pronounce it correctly. But um, uh, listen, don't you been, be I've doing that. Now being wanky. See, no, you're you're wanky. being wanky because so, as I said I can't pronounce half of these Portuguese my, names. Doesn't mean I don't know about them. And right? so when I did that, Actually. I got very. I got part of me was like very much. You guys should want to be sommeliers. You should want to. And it bits one more. But then I go to things like Burgundy on Premier Week and I see very famous wine people and I'm not going to name his name but I did tweet about it a lot um, <laughs> take pictures of his glasses was so arrogant enough to bring his own sodding Zalto glasses to Burgundy on Premier like he's so important he has to speak drink out of two separate Zalto glasses also he's drinking white Burgundy out of a normal white wine Zalto glass that, Johnny? I'm not saying anyway, it's not an MW or anything. But either famous. way, apparently and you just go on Jonathan Kleeman's Instagram you can work it out pretty quick you can find out um, but I, t- I tweeted about the fact I'm still going to damn well do it by catching next year I'm going to break from um, I can have Woo! a video recording and rant is on no because it just but this is it's a great example I mean we, and I do the, I always do the picture taking of the red trouser brigade because again wearing red trousers is a no-no in most society's issues wearing to wine tasting events you're just purificating this myth of us being uptight <laughs> wanky mm. private school arseholes yeah. um, no but you know what I agree I, really I agree <laughs> with you but things are changing massively you know before no, you don't no. think they are not I at all. Do, I do okay I so the, this way this way I get annoyed about it because it's still a club there's still a lot of club attitude with it there's still oh, a lot there of wine, is when you think of like master and, and master of wine and especially yes. no no not so much that from the buyer side of it 
I've been a lot of interviews in that head sommelier positions where the, then I meet the guy on the buyer team and he's a posh, upper-class English guy who's connected. And it does, and whether that's true or not, that's how mm. it feels. And it makes me very sus- suspicious when most sommeliers in London aren't English, yet mm. so many people who are wine buying teams are English. Mm. It makes me very... I go, but where's your experience? I know experiences, they got into a wine buying team, they worked for this side, they did this. But you've never worked on the floor. So how the hell do you know how to buy wine for a restaurant? Um, while the same people who've been doing the floor for the last 10, 20 years, a lot of time never get into those positions. And I find that very suspicious. I find it very bad things to do. So you still see a lot of old boys, a lot of very badly trimmed nose hair, a lot of all that same classic look, <laughs> blazers. If people could just trim their nose hair properly, that would solve half it's the not, problem, it's, I it's think, It's not right? difficult, like, get a pair of tweezers. It's not hard. You can see it. We can all see it. Right, and it's just like, I don't. I don't think that we should was keep. Water. <laughs> and I will reiterate, just because Harry's glass... feeling self-conscious, that was water that he. But his pouring. second glass is nearly empty. I'd like to mention of the Boschkatel. So Harry, no, you devil, you. I've been guzzling. Like more meetings as well. You're gussing it, as we know. But I just think that it is. It's it's a real shame that that kind of idea is still being pushed on, and I really hate it as an English person who's in the trade. Um, and I do think we should, I, you know, it, as an English person, I should never be saying the Americans do it better, but currently I think they just do a lot better I and they're more inclusive. And again, if you look at the bar side of the trade, linking into what Perry's about to talk about, I think if you look at the bar trade at the moment, the bar trade is much more inclusive, much more social media savvy, and is much more, there's no, it doesn't feel there's elitism within the bar industry. They all feel like they're one connected industry. I mean, there probably still is issues like that in there, but it doesn't feel like it. When I look at the wine world, there's a lot of elitism. I think that there are people trying to mitigate that, and actually, I definitely, I, know, I agree with that. I think that um, actually, that you know, that you know, you've got these uber trendy uh, bars in know, Brixton and parts of East London, Hackney and in, in Shoreditch. You know, these places like uh, a converted toilet, which is now a restaurant with <laughs> not, not shitting on clapping, bare, bare brick walls and like filament light bulbs. Yeah, exactly. Hanging wire light. You get sar- right. you get served by a sommelier with a top knot and a beard down to his chest. Oh, no, no, but their motion is they're not sommelier and they don't want to be called one. And but, that's but, the problem. But, but they should be. I guess they are doing their part certainly to relax. It's only going to get better. You know, the generations are changing, the it younger will. people no, no, are coming no, no, through. I, I do agree really but why I say it's, what, what, what annoys me is I think that it's not changing near as rapidly as it should be. Yeah. And I think yeah. even, even the gender side of it, when I first got into the trade, it was like a real big influx of more women in the industry, which always going to be pro more equality, the better, more point of view. Mm. What I've seen in the last few years, especially from the civilian side, it's so many more of them because the hours and the pay have got worse. More of them have dropped out because they're not stupid and they rather go and sell wine as a rep or work in the other side of the industry. Yeah. I just feel that, weirdly enough, you look up in the new world, I think the sommelier trade and the name is on the up. I look in the old world and I think it's on the down. And that really worries me. But I mean, I've, as I, a mean I, I, I don't, I'm an awful sommelier. <laughs> <laughs> I never was a very good one. But, you know, um, it's, uh, I mean, God knows how I got onto the sommelier versus bartenders team with you, mate. <laughs> but, uh, well, because I was on it, so it's turned up pretty low already. But, uh, <laughs> but, I mean, I don't think it's, a, it's not the end of the world. I mean, the, I'm actually not the biggest fan of the aforementioned, you know, trendy, quirky bars because actually I think that, that, that there are, you know, I've been to a few of them and I actually think they're, they're sacrificing that level of service. We mean, fact, you have no service. Yeah. And actually <laughs> being rude to you. And God forbid, but don't dare turn up with a tie on. I one time came is, after work and I got literally what doing is, is, great. What they're doing is they're pumping out Michelin star 
quality food. Some. And they think that that's enough to relax every other aspect of of the experience of their restaurants, uh, maybe to the point where they don't even have official sommelier titles. So I get what they're trying to do, because I think what they're trying to do is, as well as being edgy and cool, is, you know, try to relax certainly the wine side of things to make it a little bit more approachable but I think they've gone a little bit too I also think I also think there's an ironic point which is that the same people who talk about quality they, they also, a lot of the time on this side there'll be people going it has to be biodynamic or organic and we know that's style of bars and that sort of attitude and it can be there's nothing wrong with pushing towards that at all but they all might be like oh there's these rich people drinking wines they don't understand and getting drunk on them in Mayfair and doing this and then you'll be at one of these East London wine bars and I've been at them many times drinking a lot of wine myself and people have got six bottles lined up and I've been one of those people as well and I fully admit that but they're drinking these super rare biodynamic wines that now are just as expensive and super cult following like Domaine Pierre Rock I've seen it happen and I, they're drinking them but they're drinking them like they're in a pub and they're just downing wine however it's like Again, that's your money, you do it. But these are the same people who judge other people for doing it, yeah. and in their same trade, they're doing it. And it's just like, you're doing the same thing just because you've got bare brick walls instead of tablecloths. And again, I'm not saying you need to have either, <laughs> I like both. But just because in your place you don't get any service and your wine isn't decanted doesn't make you any better. It just means that. Well, there you go. We will see how it works out in the next few years. I won't be like I, back in anywhere in East London after this. Ah, yeah, exactly. You should watch yourself. I will. Um, I, spend, I spend enough money. <laughs> Harry, it was an absolute pleasure Christ, that you, you came. I'm, I'm surprised that you drank so much of the wine. It was very embarrassing. No, no, he didn't. No, no, he didn't really. No, One extra glass. No, thank you very You're much. You're all good. It's an absolute pleasure. You were a uh, delight. You were very well behaved. Yeah. I know, I know. It's, it's all downhill from here. So. Yeah. Good. And <laughs> um, we hope we will join you follow, in follow that. Follow us. Go, go back and probably have a week, two weeks time when we actually release this and look at Harry's uh, Instagram and Twitter to see if it slowly goes down. Yeah. Harry, what is your Instagram? My Instagram? Well, actually, so I, uh, I write under my blog, which is Great Times. GreatTimes.co.uk .co.uk You can follow Harry on GreatTimes Plug At GreatTimesUK is my Insta and actually just before we go I just do want to do a quick little plug about a project that I have in the wings which I've just gained some sponsorship for so I'm now working with Mert Hennessy and we're going to be introducing a series of planned uh, wine training sessions for the bar community um, we've kind of picked up I've, I've picked up on a massive gap in knowledge in confidence and in service particularly from the cocktail bar community and being in London by virtue we are surrounded by the best bars in the world and these guys are so good at their jobs but they just don't know the difference between champagne and prosecco so what we are doing is we are initi- we're setting up an initiative where we're going to have some very relaxed basic wine training sessions free of charge for the bar community so if you are listening and you are a bartender and you want to know more about wine just drop me a line at great times uk and um i'll get you on i'll get you guys signed up i i can contest this as well because i'm coaching for the bartender team now for bartender versus meliers and they know uh, nothing they, they, they are john they are john snow they are basically john snow at this point so they're sexy so, uh, and beautiful with oh no no no, no 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 they just know nothing <laughs> and uh, <laughs> just know nothing. i like uh, i like only, that uh that, good analogy, that fire analogy good. There. yeah no, the, only, the only thing that's good the only thing that's it's worse than them is the smithy team who looks so rocky we have to stop jonathan wait, here wait, 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 he's gonna, he's gonna, no jonathan no, no, it's actually the 
There were so many teams. They didn't get drunk on their training. They dr- they sipped the cocktails and put them back down. I had Ed from Imbibe going. They're not drinking their drinks. What's going on? <laughs> was, I'm, I was ashamed to call myself a sommelier. Like they're sober. Uh, it happens. On that, so anyone who needs anything, please contact Harry. We hope that you have learned and enjoyed a little something. Perhaps we were entertaining, and we will see you again for episode three. Stay with us. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.